Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, viewed to be the best. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. So on Saturday night, I didn't sleep very much, and I was trying to figure out, like, what is this about? And I think the thing that I just kind of kept, I guess, thinking about, and even yesterday I was still had this on my mind, is just how big these next few weeks expect to be for George. I mean, it's really overwhelming to think about after several weeks of you kind of try to have to sort of invent some sort of motivation if you're the team or you sort of have to invent some sort of motivation if you're the the fans and the media. You had to sort of create your own storylines, create your own narratives, and sometimes you have to kind of dig deep to be able to find those. Well, all of a sudden, looking ahead to everything that happens on the other side of this off week for Georgia with rivalry game against Florida, with obviously and we're going to get to the Tennessee-Alabama thing here in a moment, but with Tennessee after that, road games where Georgia's going to be tested – all of a sudden now, you don't have to reach very far to find the narrative. All of a sudden now, you don't have to dig very deep to, to, you know, to go out there and, and, and create games that are going to be incredibly memorable. And that's true for Georgia now throughout the month of November, all the way through on the other side of January. And I don't believe I'll ever forget quite what it was like being in Athens on Saturday evening. It was unlike really probably any experience I've ever had around a game before Georgia obviously did what it was supposed to do it went out there and obliterated Vanderbilt 155 to nothing and yet for almost the entirety of the game the attention of Georgia fans was on something else was happening somewhere else it was on what was happening in Knoxville with Tennessee beating Alabama we understand why there was a lot of rich storyline there in that game Vols hadn't beaten Alabama in seemingly forever uh, Georgia fans don't like Alabama that's kind of a new nemesis that's emerged in recent years and anytime to see Alabama lose is always interesting and you know what whatever the scenario was it's obvious that there were a lot of eyeballs happening there between Alabama and Tennessee and if you were watching at home not at the game many of you and I saw your photos and I saw your social media videos of this you kind of had the two screen experience going on you had the one TV with Georgia Vandy you had the other TV with Tennessee Alabama or if you have the one TV you're kind of flipping back and forth with the uh, what do you call it the channel return button you were staying pretty focused there on the Alabama Tennessee game there as well and when we were doing the show from the UGA bookstore that's our post game show that we do um you know after every game Boy, to see the huge crowd that was there, uh, gathered around watching our show, but also watching this Alabama-Tennessee game. Yeah, there's a photo of it. If you're watching on video of all the uh, Georgia fans that are there, up there on the uh, left part of that wall is the Bama-Tennessee game on the screen. And what you heard were these like huge roars every time something good would happen for Tennessee. It was pretty obvious. And I don't know if this was just reflective of the room that we were in or if this was reflective of kind of, you know, dog nation uh, – overall stretched out wherever it might might go but it seemed like on Saturday the opinion was pretty unanimous that the folks wanted to see Alabama lose even though Tennessee is an opponent for Georgia in the SEC East on this particular game it seemed like that that the the battle lines had been drawn the allegiances had been kind of uh, agreed upon and Georgia fans wanted to see Tennessee beat Alabama because as of now it's Georgia fans still more interested in seeing Alabama lose here that's still the more interesting outcome now it was also kind of pointed out to me by somebody else and I think it's kind of true that there may be a little bit of a division uh, I should say a, a, a generational divide here this may be one of those things that were for some young Georgia fans their earliest memory of disappointment for Georgia is uh, going back to the 2017 national championship game if you're young enough maybe you don't remember anything before that or maybe for you it's the 2012 sec championship game and if you're young enough you don't remember anything before that and some of us some of us georgia folks who've kind of been around a little longer may have to remind some folks over the course of the next few weeks of exactly how much history there is between georgia and tennessee and that while a lot of folks in their 20s really can't even remember a time in which Tennessee was very good. Some of us who've been around here for a little bit longer can remember some of that. Some of us who've been around here a little bit longer do have uh, a lot of backstory between Georgia and Tennessee. And over the course of the next few weeks, I think a lot of that's going to come out of the woodworks. But it was just very interesting to see the reaction that you got from a lot of Georgia fans, what went down with Alabama and Tennessee on, on Saturday. And then I think it's also, I think, interesting to kind of think about what this means from a Georgia perspective, watching Tennessee beat Alabama. First of all, 
I think it's important for me to give some credit here and admit that I got this very, very wrong. And listen, when you're a loud mouth who screams into a microphone for a living, you're going to get a lot of stuff wrong over the course of time. This is certainly an example of that from me. I thought Alabama would assert itself. I thought Alabama would be Alabama on the road here. And that for a Tennessee team that I've acknowledged is good, and I've been saying they were good even during the offseason, but you heard me say a lot over and over again, not quite good enough yet to do this. Not quite good enough yet to to stand up against Nick Saban in Alabama. It's one thing to go on the road and beat LSU. It's another thing to eke out a win against Florida. But actually go toe-to-toe with Alabama and win a game like this is not something yet that I thought that uh, Tennessee was going to be able to do, and they did. And so you got to give credit here to Tennessee for doing more right now than I thought they were capable of doing. And I think you also have to kind of wonder then, okay, well, what does that mean for Georgia-Tennessee coming up in a couple of weeks? If Tennessee was capable of beating Alabama this way, are they now also capable of beating Georgia? And all of a sudden, is Georgia's supremacy in the SEC East now called into question because of of what the Vols were able to do on Saturday? I'm going to give a little credit here to the SEC office for a moment. You know, a few years ago, we made a big deal about the fact that the Georgia-Auburn rivalry was moving from November to October, and it seemed at the time like this was a favor to Auburn to kind of get them away from having to play Georgia and Alabama, their two hated rivals, two very good programs, so close to the end of the year that this was kind of a a favor to them in regards to that. And yet what we also heard at the time was, well, maybe the league kind of wanted to set up a scenario in the SEC East that was a little bit similar to the scenario in the SEC West, where late in the year you've got Alabama-LSU, you've got Alabama-Auburn, you've got Egg Bowl, you've got these big – divisional rivalry games late in the season that the drama kind of builds towards this well in the SEC East because so many so many of the teams in that league have out of conference in-state rivals that you don't quite have the same thing in the SEC East and so I think the league has made a concerted effort to try to create that that's one of the reasons why Georgia Tennessee has been moved later into the year and lo and behold gosh this is working out almost exactly the way the SEC league office kind of wanted it to we're all of a sudden now in November, the most dramatic game of the season looms for Georgia against Tennessee. Kind of how the league office seemed to kind of, I guess, orchestrate all this, kind of manage all this, to kind of create this. That this plan has seemingly come together. And obviously, we're going to have a lot to say about Georgia Tennessee over the course of the next few weeks and in a couple of more minutes here, too. But for as much credit as I want to give to Tennessee, and I do think you have to give them a lot of credit for winning the game, I think if you're Georgia, you do have to suddenly upgrade the level of respect that you have for that program, for what they were able to do on Saturday. With all due respect here, with all due respect, I think the larger story on Saturday is what's going on with Alabama. And this may be why so many Georgia fans in the bookstore, as I said, were cheering openly for Tennessee to beat Alabama. This may be why there seemed to be so much intrigue in this game. Because one way or another, there's a a little bit of a belief that starts to creep in that Alabama as a program is just sort of slipping. Like we've seen a lot of firsts under Nick Saban a lot the last couple of years. Up until last season, no former Nick Saban assistant had ever beaten him in a game, and Jimbo Fisher became the first to do that last October. And then we could say, well, Nick Saban's lost to, to one of his assistants now, but he still beats up on Georgia. He still beats up on his old protege, you know, Kirby Smart. And then that changed, too, last January, that Georgia kind of got its first win against Nick Saban under Kirby Smart. That's another thing that Alabama once sort of had as a claim to fame that kind of no longer has. And then on Saturday, you saw them give up 50 points for the first time in the Nick Saban era. And all of a sudden, you just see a lot of things that Alabama used to kind of be able to hold its hat on. All of a sudden, it doesn't quite have those things anymore. And you are kind of left to see what we've kind of warned you about what about Alabama before. This is a program that's become very reliant on smaller players. The physicality that wants to find the Nick Saban teams, that's at a place like Georgia. Doesn't seem like it's a... As prevalent as a place like Alabama was. I mean, in previous years, Alabama would have used better defense to to maybe take control of this game on Saturday. Alabama would have run the ball more to maybe control the clock and keep Hendon Hooker and Jalen Hyatt and this great Tennessee offense off the field. They would have figured out some way to do that. They're just not quite able to do that anymore. And so I think some of the energy that some Georgia fans had about this game on Saturday is they kind of sense 
and, and listen to what I'm saying here and don't miss what I'm what I'm not saying. I'm not saying, oh, it's the end of the Alabama dynasty. A lot of folks have kind of said that in the past. It sort of has this, you know, kind of reeks of being a sort of a hot take. That's not what I'm saying here. But the Alabama era is over. The Alabama dynasty may or may not be over. They could still win the national championship this year. But the Alabama era where they're a guarantee to play well in a game like this, that is over. I tweeted this on Saturday. They've lost three times since last October. They've won half dozen more of those games by like one touchdown or less. This is a team that's playing a lot more close games than it used to and, frankly, losing with a lot more regularity than it once did. The Alabama era where they've got the best offense, they've got the best defense, they've got the best coach, they've got the best recruiting, they've got the best, whatever the current trend is. Right now it's transfer NIL. The, the, the era in which Alabama dominates across the board, that era is clearly over. Tennessee's the best offensive team in the SEC. Georgia's the best defensive team. Alabama's taking a lot of transfers, but Ole Miss seems better at using transfers than Alabama is. Alabama's trying to play the NIL game, but Texas A&M seems better at that too. That there are a lot of boxes to be checked in modern college football, and someone in the SEC does almost everything better than Alabama does it. Alabama collectively is still an excellent program, but its level of full-blown dominance has slipped a bit and for young Georgia fans who all they can remember is a time in which Alabama has been kind of like the tormentor the oppressor the the you know the the bully in the SEC that era is over Alabama's run of excellence may not be over but the way in which we've defined college football everybody chasing Alabama that doesn't seem like it's quite so true anymore so that might kind of explain why you saw so many Georgia fans celebrating what you saw there on Saturday, and you're left to conclude, okay, well, what does that mean then going forward? What does that mean for for Georgia going forward? All of a sudden now, Georgia's going to start measuring itself by things other than just Alabama, because frankly, Georgia's already passed that test. Tennessee got Georgia sloppy seconds on Saturday. Uh, Georgia's already beaten uh, Alabama a, a few months prior to that. Tennessee was simply traveling a path that Georgia had already traveled. That's That's basically what that was. So now, Georgia on... November the 5th starts looking ahead to a Tennessee game and trying to do something that Alabama proved incapable of doing. And when you start circling that game, thinking about that date, y'all, I mean, of all the ramifications for what came from, from Alabama, Tennessee on Saturday, the, the largest, the most significant might be this. It is quite possible that Georgia's never played a bigger home game than the one that's going to play against Tennessee coming up in a couple of weeks. And I know when you say something like that, it sort of sounds ridiculous. It sort of sounds like the thing that shouldn't be true, that couldn't be true. But I went back and looked at this. You, in fact, you'll remember, we've talked about this a lot in the days leading up to this game against Alabama and Tennessee, that if if Tennessee were to win, what that might mean for the, for the nature of that game. And I talked to, uh, you, you'll remember this, I said this last week, I talked to Tony Barnhart about that and asked Tony, Mr. College Football, one of the great historians who understands so many things about the SEC, kind of what he remembers about you know, sort of previous moments, previous eras. We kind of exchanged some notes on that. I talked to some folks at uh, University of Georgia on Saturday from the sports information staff. Georgia last played a game matchup of top five opponents in Athens in 1983. That was Georgia and Auburn. You have to go back a long time to find a matchup of two teams both ranked in the top five. Prior to that, the most recent example before that was 1942. So two teams ranked the top five. We haven't seen that very much. And yet if things hold here over the course of the next couple of weeks with both Georgia and Tennessee playing games, this could be a matchup of at least top four teams, if not top three teams, if not even higher than that when this game is played. And it seems like the intrigue, the interest is only just starting to build. Secondary market already has tickets priced in the several hundred dollar range. Many of you have told me that. I've got plenty of folks who are looking for tickets, and they've kind of uh, told me that there as well, that that's how big this game looms and the result in Knoxville kind of a part of that. In fact, it's so much so that you're almost left to wonder, is Georgia tempted to look ahead past Florida, something I don't believe that's ever been true in my lifetime, to, to look ahead to what might happen against the Vols. I think the simple answer to that is no, and frankly, around here, we're not going to let that be the case. Obviously, around here, we believe that a good Georgia fan is a Gator hater first and foremost. In this particular case, first and foremost, Georgia's got to take care of Florida before he can do any of that. So we're not going to push the, uh, the, the cocktail party to the wayside. 
But we do acknowledge that it's not the biggest game that Georgia will play this year. In all likelihood, it is that game against Tennessee. And on Saturday, you got the sense that every fan was kind of coming to grips with that, that the seas of change are kind of moving here in the league just a little bit, that the Alabama era of complete and total dominance has kind of changed, and all of a sudden Georgia might be looking to measure itself against other teams, and that the hashtag go for two and 22 doesn't necessarily begin with what happens in December in the SEC championship and then continuing the college football play that Georgia's got some work to do just to get ready for that two weeks in the cocktail party massive home game against Tennessee after that tricky road games beyond that that the tough stretch that we always knew loomed for Georgia now seems tougher and more important than ever and we know that in practice Georgia's got a couple of weeks to get ready we as fans and media we got a couple of weeks to get our attention sort of built up around this It is going to be a wild ride for Georgia in the coming days. Frankly, I can't wait for it. I told you I didn't sleep very much on Saturday night. So excited about what is to come next. It is an unbelievably intriguing season playing out. And the number one ranked Georgia Bulldogs are right in the middle of all of it. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We are presented today by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, and happy to have you with us no matter how you get to us live on video, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, Radio Noon, Athens Sports Radio 963F, and as a podcast wherever you find them, including the worldfamousdognation.com, Apple, Spotify, everything else. Just really happy to have you with us. And, of course, big thanks to our friends at Pella Window and Door of Georgia for making it all possible there as well. Listen, we're kind of in that time, falls a little bit of a transition season around here where, hey, some days it's kind of hot, some days it's kind of cold, some days it's sort of hot and cold in the same day, and you're kind of turning on the AC, you're turning on the heat, or whatever you got going on, you also start to see the, the, the signs of winter start to formulate a little bit, gets a little windier, a little breezier, you know, things like that, kind of the end of the bugs. Whatever's going on outside, you want to keep it outside. And whatever's going on inside, whether it be your AC, your heat, whatever else, you want to keep that right there on the inside where it's supposed to be there as well. That's why you want a wonderful product like Pella Window and Doors of Georgia, kind of keeping you comfortable on the inside of your house and keeping that nasty stuff on the outside exactly where it's supposed to be. That's what Pella Window and Door of Georgia is all about. That plus, they look great on the outside. Uh, Improving your curb appeal is a great way to be a good neighbor in your community. It's a great way to also potentially increase your resale value when you're ready to move on to a new community. That is what Pella Window and Door of Georgia is all about. They are viewed to be the best, and they got great savings for you here right now um, that you can check out here today. Because between now and Halloween on October 31st, you can get 10% off your entire project at a uh, reduced or a reduced rate of 6.99% for 120 months you can get all of that here today uh, great savings at Pella window and door of georgia 10 percent off your entire project or as i said before reduced rate of 6.99 percent for 120 months as you get all that done you can go to the experience center in duluth and be able to see that for yourself here today or you can give them a call 678-638-1496 that's 678-638-1496 or you can check them out online at uh pella of slash dog nation that is pella of com slash dog nation because Pella window and door of Georgia is viewed to be the best. We're gonna get John Stinchcomb here coming up in just a moment. Looking forward to having John here today. I know John will have a lot to say about the victory for Georgia against Vanderbilt, 55 nothing shutout, what we saw come out of that game, but also kind of the new landscape here in the SEC where Alabama's not quite as good as some folks would thought they'd be in the preseason. Not out of it yet by any stretch, but not as dominant as they once were. Tennessee's better right now than I thought they would be at this point in time. Knew they were good. They're even better than that. Obviously, that's what it takes to beat Alabama. They showed worthy of that medal there on Saturday, and we'll get more of that from John Stinchcomb coming up here in a moment too. But before that, though, I want to go around the doghouse. It's assisted today by our friends at AAA, and I want to make a very simple point here just for a moment. That... And I want to show you this on the screen here because this from David Pollack is a perfect example of what we've kind of seen a lot of as of late. Now, listen, I got no beef with Pollack. My only reason for showing this is because it's a representative opinion of what a lot of folks have been saying. David Pollack making the case that right now, Tennessee, after having beaten Alabama, ought to be the number one team in the country. Let me show you this from Pollock here on the screen. He says, I don't know how Tennessee would not be the number one team in the country this week. Best win of the season was last night. That's David Pollock. Once again, I got no beef with him. Pollock's opinion is sort of representative of a lot of folks here. Uh, so so no argument for me in terms of you know the, the, the validity of David's opinion. I'm just simply showcasing that as a way of pointing out what a lot of folks are saying right here. And listen, 
there's also this pocket of Georgia fans that are almost like, and I'm not criticizing them either. I'm just, this is how it looks to my eyes. They're almost like too cool for school. They don't want to be number one. They want Tennessee to be number one so Georgia can take it from them or whatever else. And understanding all that there as well. If I'm making a ballot right now, I have no problem telling you. The number one team on my ballot would be the Georgia Bulldogs. And frankly, for me, it's not really close. And if I was going to pick someone else besides Georgia to be number one for me to be Ohio State, it would not be Tennessee as of yet. And my reason for saying that is, is because I think what you start to see formulating for Georgia here right now is a little bit of what you also saw last year. And we don't quite yet know if this Georgia defense is going to be as good as what the Georgia defense was a year ago that had five first-round picks. There's plenty of reason to believe that it won't be. I understand all of that. We don't quite yet know how this team is going to come together in much the same way the team came together for uh, Georgia a year ago. But we do see some evidence that there are at least some ways in which this Georgia team is starting to look a little bit like last year in the area that matters the most, and this is why I would have them ranked at number one. Right now, Georgia, and let's just use a simple stat that everybody can understand. There's a lot of different stats you can use. Some of these are more complicated, but here's a very simple one. The amount of points you're scoring, the amount of points you're giving up. We all agree that when it comes to college football, the name of the game is finding the end zone. The name of the game is keeping your opponent out of the end zone. That's a pretty easy way of understanding who's doing well and who's not. Well, guess what? For all of the gnashing of teeth and all of the criticism that that Georgia finds on the offensive side of the football. Here we are after seven regular season games. Georgia is 10th nationally in points scored per game. 10th nationally. They're in the top 10 nationally of points scored per game. And you'll come back and say, well, yeah, but, 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 but Ohio State's first, and Tennessee is second. Georgia's about to have to play Tennessee, the second highest scoring team in the country. I get all of that. But the thing that we said a year ago that made Georgia better than everybody else. And we said this during the season. When the season concluded, I believe we were proven right on this, that it was the complementary brand of football that Georgia was playing. Nobody last year had a better combination of elite offense and elite defense than Georgia did. There were teams that were more elite on offense, but those teams were far worse defensively. There were teams that were close to Georgia on defense, but those teams were nowhere near close to what Georgia was also doing on the offensive side of the ball there as well because let's flip the page here I just told you Georgia 10th in scoring offense but those teams that are better at scoring like say Tennessee and Ohio State they are far worse defensively Ohio State is in the top 10 both categories they're 10th in defensive points allowed but Tennessee in that same metric is 47th right now now this is not me telling you that Georgia is going to easily beat Tennessee I'm not ready to make a prediction on that game yet what I am telling you is is that the thing that made Georgia special last year, its complementary brand of football, scoring a bunch of points, not giving very much uh, up on that defensive side of the ball, that's also starting to kind of rear up and show itself here this year too. And you say, well, how come you would rank them over Ohio State then if Ohio State's also top 10 in both categories? Because once again, it comes down to kind of, as David Pollack mentioned, who's got the most impressive win well, I'm not quite so sure Tennessee, you know, using 16 Alabama penalties, uh, blowing a big lead, coming back to, to finally get the win in a game that featured very little defense whatsoever. Is that really more impressive than beating the team currently ranked number 10, which is what Oregon is, 49-3 at the beginning of the season? And for Ohio State, whose signature win right now is a closer than it should have been a win against a Notre Dame team that just lost to a Stanford team that came into the game at 1-4. and four. That's what we've seen from Ohio State thus far this year. But we've seen Georgia on the stage that mattered most against a team now currently ranked. They're ranked the top 10 right now, Oregon is. Georgia beat them 49-3. to So we don't quite yet know how the season's going to conclude. But the idea that somehow Georgia is un, not solid, that Georgia's slipping, that Georgia's, that Georgia's less than it was a year ago, you'd be very hard-pressed to find examples of that. Very few stats actually point to that being the case. Top 10 in scoring offense second scoring defense dominant win against a team currently ranked in the top 10 yeah Tennessee is going to get some attention right now and deservedly so Ohio State seems to be playing better football right now than it did a year ago they're going to get some attention and maybe deservedly so we're going to find them uh, find out more about them as they play tougher games here coming up but there's no doubt for me right now this is a Georgia team that is rock solid, number one for a reason. If I had to vote to give in this category, I'd give it to UGA and offer no apologies for it. 
This, to me, right now looks like the best team in the country. It'll be tested by Tennessee here in a couple of weeks. But the right team, I believe, is ranked number one right now. That is Run the Doghouse, and it's assisted today by our friends at AAA. And, of course, as you travel around and do all the things that we're doing this time of year, and we are doing a lot, uh, going to high school games and college games and everything else, we love having that AAA membership card right there in our pocket to help keep us safe and taken care of as we're doing all that we're doing and AAA can also provide so much more protection for you than just that it's more than just roadside assistance how about a name to know when it comes to insurance products there as well because when it comes to getting your AAA uh, auto insurance your auto insurance through AAA you can expect to get something more from that Uh, and you might even get a chance to pay less for that there as well you can get a free no obligation quote from our friends at AAA uh, to see if you qualify for the AAA membership discount, another great incentive that comes to you for getting your insurance through AAA. It's a paperless discount, pay-in-full discount, multiple car savings, and so many other discount options available to you that you might qualify for through our friends at AAA. So you can call 833-718-2075. That's 833-718-2075 to find a branch near you. Great to have AAA delivering around the doghouse to us here today. All right, let's uh, jump in here and uh, get it going. Uh, obviously, a lot to kind of get into with Georgia getting a win against Vanderbilt and an incredible landscape kind of emerging around Georgia with Tennessee rising, Alabama maybe falling just a bit, and kind of everything else in between. Let's see if we can cover all of those bases. As welcome in John Stinchcomb here today on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. So, John, I promise we'll get to Georgia Vanderbilt here in a moment. Georgia wins 55-0, and maybe to Georgia's credit, the fact that the game was, I guess, so drama-free, an example of the dominance that Georgia showed. But I have to find out before we get to that what you thought of that Tennessee-Alabama game and the ramifications you see for this for Georgia let me start on the Tennessee side where they do what I didn't think they were going to be able to do. They got that win. They, you know, dialed up an even more impressive version of offense than what we've seen from Alabama these, certainly this year, if not the uh, last couple of years. They're drawing some comparisons right now to what LSU did in 2019. What did you think of this Vols team, which, by the way, looms for Georgia here in a couple of weeks? What did you think of them getting the win they got against Alabama? Yeah, I think it was a super impressive win. I think it, it showed um, that they are about a year ahead of where most people had projected. I think with the uh, level of recruiting that they've done in these past couple of years and what they're uh, slated to do this upcoming year, it's a program that's on the rise that I think everyone was expecting them to you know, be a part of the conversation, but most likely that was coming next year. So uh, what Coach Heupel has done over there and, and the amount of improvement that the organization has held is, is rather impressive because they were an afterthought. It was a program that you know 20 years ago was very relevant, and they went through their struggles. And to see them now uh, having earned uh, a top-three ranking, it's impressive, and um, you, you have to beat the best to be the best, and what they proved on Saturday is uh, given the opportunity, and that opportunity comes with 16 penalties and a uh, mixed missed field goal with only seconds left on the clock uh, from your opponent that they can take advantage of, of that opportunity. So I think they're, they have earned their way to it. It wasn't a flawless game by any means, and uh, I think what they showed offensively is that they're very capable of, of winning the big game, which they did on Saturday. But um, there's still, you know, if, if you're making comparisons, there's no other team that I would trade uh, to wear the red and black because Georgia still, in my mind, is that number one team in the country. So last year, Georgia blew out Tennessee and Knoxville. And this year, it feels like the complexion of this game is going to be a little bit different or is it? I mean, how much did the win for Tennessee against Alabama now make you believe that Tennessee is a threat here in about three weeks' time to come into Athens and also beat Georgia? You know, Georgia's kind of had a strangleholder on the SEC East. We call it own the East around here. The only time they haven't won the East since 2017 was the pandemic year of 2020. Is Tennessee now a viable threat to take that from Georgia here this season based on what you saw on Saturday? Yeah, absolutely. I think they are most certainly a threat. Uh, 
I still think Georgia's the best team in the country. And when you say that, I, I think some fans just assume that you're going to blow everyone out. That doesn't happen. It is, it's, it's rare when you're able to beat a, like you've mentioned already in the show, a top 10 team 49-3 in week one. It, it's much more competitive. Just because it's competitive doesn't mean, mean you're not better. And I think that's what the reality is, is, is Tennessee is a good team. They're a really good team. But Georgia is still better, and um, I fully expect Georgia to win. Now, the thing is, uh, rather than expectations, you have to go out there and prove it. Uh, and there is a month of football coming up for Georgia where they can do just that. There's going to be some uh, good competition for them that is going to either show that they are the best team in the country or, or show that uh, maybe they, they haven't or aren't living up to the billing that I feel up to this point they've earned. And, you know, you got a game against Florida, expected to win. Tennessee's the, the game that everyone has circled at this point as to uh, the landscape nationally of what it's going to look like, but obviously has major implications on representation for the SEC championship. And you follow that back up with uh, Mississippi State and Kentucky. So four great weeks of football for Georgia fans to uh, – kind of know exactly what we have and what I think we have is the the best team in the country. Do you agree with me that, listen, and we were in the bookstore on Saturday, UJ Bookstore, the eruption when Alabama lost was huge, even though practically speaking, you know, a division team like Tennessee losing would seem to benefit Georgia more, yet emotionally it was kind of a unanimous decision that folks wanted to see Alabama Alabama lose. And what somebody told me there that night was is that when you look around in that UGA bookstore, the folks who were really cheering the loudest, this was young Georgia fans. This was Georgia fan who maybe his earliest memory of disappointment was the 2017 National Championship, as hard as that is to believe, or slightly older, you remember the 2012 SEC Championship, and that for a certain generation of fan, they don't know college football prior to Nick Saban being in Alabama, and all they kind of know is Nick Saban kind of being the bull of the woods here in this league and what a you know, nemesis and tormentor he's been while doing that. John, I truly believe over the course of these next three weeks, and I promise you we're not going to overlook Florida, but let's talk about the uh, game at hand right now which is the Vols, over these next few weeks, some of us who got a little gray in our hair who kind of been around here for a minute, we may have to kind of step up and assert ourselves. We have to be like you know, the old man at the uh, family reunion here and kind of reminding folks about what's what. Because, John, when you came to Georgia, and I know you know this, when you came to Georgia beating Tennessee, the idea of doing that was a huge deal. One of the most heartbreaking games I can ever remember as a fan, which I guess predates your rival, but uh, but you, I, uh, I guess your brother would have played in this game if I'm remembering the timeline right. That 98 game when, when, when the Vols came in here, first time game day had ever been here um and and georgia had just won at lsu and then you know the disappointment kind of you know related to a, a, a lot of that 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 for a lot of us we remember when the tennessee game was a very big deal guess what one way or another it's a big deal again is it the biggest game of all time we can debate that but we can certainly say this it's a big deal now like it was when you first showed up on campus yes and and quite honestly i think it's good i think it's that's a good thing because it certainly hasn't been that way. It's almost been um, an embarrassment of ease in comparison, SEC East to West, in that you know, everybody's talked about you, know, you got Alabama and Texas A&M and LSU on the West, and then Georgia has had very little competition. Not exactly upset about that, but Tennessee and Florida haven't held up their end of the bargain of having – equal representation on our side of the conference. And now Tennessee is proving that the SEC East is probably a little heavier at the top than, than the West is currently. Obviously, Texas A&M underperforming this year factors into that equation. And, and LSU and Florida are equally, uh, in, in comparison to where they've been historically, average. Uh, but Tennessee, I, I do remember those that era of Peyton Manning and T. Martin and Phil Fulmer, and it was a, a true rivalry, and that's been lost for a long time. Um, and I, I think Coach Heupel's done a great job, and they, the way they're recruiting and with their collectives and the way that that is factoring into the college football landscape, it doesn't seem like they're going anywhere anytime soon. With that said they're still the little brother in the conference. 
and and Georgia has to maintain and assert themselves um, in a few weeks here when, when Tennessee does come to town and show that although they are improved, they're still a top dog in the country, and, and they're wearing red and black. Now, for the fans that are cheering when Alabama loses, I, I compare it to kind of that New England Tom Brady era where you're either a, a New England fan or you want to see the Patriots lose just because of their dominance. And I, I think Alabama Alabama has earned that. I think um, in the college landscape there has not been a team uh, as dominant as Alabama has. And when you see them lose, you're going, wow, you know, there are chinks in the armor and um, – there's more opportunity there for us. So uh, I, I certainly understand it. I, I wasn't heartbroken to see them lose, and I think it only builds the excitement for this next month of football for Georgia. All right, very quickly before we get to what Georgia did on Saturday, i got to ask you this. I said this a moment ago. The worst hot take ever is the Alabama dynasty is over. People have said that before, and it's kind of been proven to be premature. What I said very specifically a moment ago, though, is, is – Look, the Alabama dynasty may or may not be over. They could still win the national championship this season. They're still alive for that, uh, obviously, and it's not obvious that they won't eventually win it. They're, they're still very much in the mix. But, John, I do believe the Alabama era is over, the era in which they got the best offense, they got the best defense, they got the best coach, they got the best recruits, they got the best whatever the hot trend is. Right now it's transfers, NIL, things like that. They got the best across the board. John, that's just not true anymore. They're still an excellent program, but they've lost three times in what is almost like 53 weeks, like a, like a full calendar year plus a week. They've lost three times. And over that same span, they've played five or six games, you know, touchdown or less. Uh, they're winning close games more frequently than they used to. They're sure as heck losing more games than they used to. The sort of era of Alabama across the board being the only measuring stick for a team like Georgia and the kind of – you know, beyond the, the the imagination to be that good standard in the SEC, that's just not quite what it is anymore, John. Yeah, I'd say that the gap has shrunk. I think that Alabama uh, used to dominate in every category, and I was listening to you before, and I agree that now in each individual category, they may not have their name at the top of that list, but they're still up there. So to think that the era is over, I probably disagree a little bit. Um, but they certainly are not nearly as dominant. Uh, you don't see that separation um, that we saw for years, and that gap has, has closed, and Georgia has led the way in it and probably, in my opinion, has surpassed it uh, based on a national championship last year and where we stand this year. So that king of the hill that, that has been for the better part of a decade is no longer. I can agree on that sentiment to say that, you know, and I think this is what you're expressing to, to say that they're not still a very good team that's that's still in the discussion. That's inaccurate, and and I'm not saying that that's that's the point that you're making. Sure. Um, it, it, it's they are just not as dominant as they have been. It seemed like every category they were the standard in which everyone was shooting for, and now. As you went through it, you know, you look at uh, where they stand, it, it's not nearly as dominant as they once were. And so I, I think that's, that is accurate. And um, it, it's taken different teams to kind of chip away at that. But uh, Alabama has proved in the past couple of weeks that they were vulnerable. I mean, yeah. you look and, and they almost lost two weeks ago and, and really had a chance to win in uh, against Tennessee this uh, this past Saturday, if not for some serious self-inflicted wounds with the number of penalties that they had and, and that missed field goal late in the game. So it would have been a, a much different conversation had it not been, you know, an overturned interception in the end zone that they returned to Tennessee's almost, what, 30? Yeah. Uh, that the very next play, Tennessee throws a touchdown. That's a game-changing uh back-to-back series of, of events and then you know you missed that field goal late in the game to give Tennessee hope to, to move the ball down the field and, and have their own chance at a game-winning field goal with only seconds left on the clock so 
you know, that's the way football goes. In those big games, you have to cash in on those moments. And, and Alabama, you know, shot themselves multiple times um, and prevented themselves from, from coming away from a, a really hard-fought, you know, SEC instant classic game. So still one of those teams that is about as dangerous as, as anyone in this country. Uh, anytime you have Bryce Young on your roster, you got to feel good that you can come back or, or pull away in certain situations because that, that guy is just super special, and they've got a number of special players, but they certainly don't have the dominance that they, that they once did, and they've seemed to prove that week in uh, and week out for these past two or three weeks. So let's talk about Georgia here for a moment. And, John, I think the sharp contrast that Georgia drew on Saturday to the other teams – I think it's meaningful, and people say, well, it was just Vanderbilt. Well, Vanderbilt's also won three times already this year, and Vanderbilt's scoring like 30-whatever points a game. The fact that Georgia beat them 55 nothing, they've beat them 100 and something to nothing over the course of the last couple of years. John, this just sort of is what Georgia is. Like, like oh, so dramatic. Alabama-Tennessee is this unbelievable game. I mean, even me, I'm like a diehard Georgia guy, and I'm like – so into what they're doing in Knoxville. I have to admit, I was very into the drama there at Alabama and Tennessee. But also, I understand that part of what demonstrates Georgia's strength is how undramatic a lot of its games are. How boring, I use that air quotes around boring, but how boring a lot of the Georgia games are. The fact that Georgia just goes out there and from the word go on Saturday, just rendered this an uncompetitive affair. Vanderbilt clearly was looking for a place to fall. Georgia gladly gave it one. And when it was all said and done, yeah, you can talk about what Darnell Washington did. You can talk about, you know, a few you know storylines from the game. But there really wasn't a lot to obsess over. There really wasn't a lot to nitpick. There really wasn't a lot to diagnose, break down from Georgia's win against Vanderbilt. Georgia is just ruthlessly efficient at times. They haven't been that in every single game, but in that kind of final tune-up before what's about to be a wild gauntlet here over the course of the last few weeks, or the, in the upcoming few weeks, I'm not quite so sure that Georgia could have showed you much more than it did uh, going into that uh, game on Saturday. They made it look exactly as easy as they were supposed to. What did you think of Georgia's game in particular? Yeah, it, I think they continue to prove who they are. And and uh, we used to have a special teams coach saying, confirm the validity of, of, of the statement. <laughs> and, and the statement is, this is the best team. It, it's the best defense, best offense. Uh, combination in the country. And what they did against Vandy was made an uh, up-and-coming, hungry team. That it is not, they're not great, but they're a good team. Uh, and they handled their business about as efficiently as you could ask. I think a lot of the concern for Georgia has been, you know, the run game and how will that complement things. And we don't have that feature back, and we do have some developmental uh, guys up front that that have higher ceilings, but aren't uh, the the stalwarts that we're used to um, with first round draft pick after first round draft pick coming out of, of of that front. And what they showed against Vandy is a propensity to continue to generate plays offensively and suffocate defensively. If you look at you know the couple of games where it was closer than fans liked. Missouri and Kent State specifically, uh, our defense was put in some pretty precarious situations just because of early turnovers. And that's what led to the, the different dynamics of the game against Missouri. And, you know, despite winning by, you know, three plus scores uh, against Kent State, um, it was largely due to early turnovers and, and Kent State feeling like they had some life. Uh, not due to defensive play. So, in my opinion, the, the early defensive performance has exceeded what expectations should have realistically been. Um, and as they grew, grew and, and gained more experience throughout this year, um, they're doing that while also dominating opponents' offenses uh, early and often and frequently. So, this team is it's, it's just... That's their identity. They don't play down to the standard of their opponents. Uh, they've continued to get better, which is needed. I mean, it's a young team. As many guys as they've lost, transfer portal, and obviously to the, to the draft, but yet have, have 
performed week in and week out in this past game against Vandy. Uh, I think they checked just about every box that you could ask for heading into a bye week, other than staying healthy. Um, you know, there's some concerns there, just specifically with you know wide receivers. As we get guys back, you can't continue to lose them, and uh, you know, I'm not sure the extent of Lad's injury, but yeah. that that was certainly wasn't. Uh, anything positive for Georgia to see yet another wide receiver go down and, and head into the tent. No, that's certainly true, John. I, I appreciate your valuation. So much uh, good insight from you on all of that. Thanks for being here. A part of this today on Dog Nation Daily presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. I love our conversations each week, and I really get the sense that the next few weeks are going to be incredibly fascinating, incredibly fascinating. So we're going to lean on you for a lot here, and so uh, we appreciate you sharing your thoughts. We'll look forward to talking to you again soon. Hey, it's always a good time, B.A. There's a, just w- one last thing. Please. I, I feel like I'd be remiss if uh, I didn't give a shout-out to, you know, there's a couple players that, that always seem to pique your interest as, as the games go, go on and, and the season plays itself out. And I remember talking about Devontae Wyatt two years ago yeah. uh, as, a, as a guy you're like, man, he's, he's really coming on. And I think the same should be said about Warren Brinson. Yeah. Um, you know, he's shown those flashes where you're going, golly, he's affecting the run game. He's got some tackles for loss. And even when he doesn't get home in the pass game, uh, he's provided that, that presence. So yet another guy who has been a part of the system for a long time and now that he's getting more opportunities is starting to, to really show what he's capable of. And it was exciting to see and just wanted to be sure to – Mention his name, given the opportunity. Boy, John, that's good stuff. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. Always a good time. Go dogs. Yes, sir. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, to follow what John's saying there, you know, 55 nothing, so dominant, really kind of rendering the game kind of a non-entity in a lot of ways. The only thing I'm not seeing from George enough right now, at one point in time we have had pretty big, I think, concerns about running game. I thought the last couple of weeks, Georgia's probably answered some of those pretty well. You know, they need more pass rush. And on Saturday, you don't want to mess around maybe and do more than you have to because Vanderbilt just wasn't a factor to able to compete with you at all. But when you think about what you're going to need for what's still coming, you do need more of that. Maybe if you're looking for the one thing you didn't see in 55 nothing, you know, really getting after A.J. Swan is maybe something, something that Georgia didn't quite do a ton of on Saturday and you do need more of that eventually so if you want to have a nitpick if you want to have a box that maybe went unchecked in that game against the Commodores that might be what that is we got more thoughts around the SEC here coming up before that though great time to remind you that we're cruising around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean and cruising with all of you coming up in April on board Independence of the Seas I continue to hear from a lot of dog fans like BA I'm going to be there I am there got my stateroom booked ready to go contact your friend Jessica Slater to get all that done and I gotta tell you it's gonna be a great time I'm very very excited about it and I'm excited because I'm always looking forward to a cruise vacation y'all know I, I, I love taking them but I'm also excited about this one in particular because I'm going to be with so many of you and I do truly believe we're going to have a really good time I've said before that our dog nation cruise is a little bit like dog nation summer camp in some ways and that you know we kind of go off we relax we kind of let our hair down it's sort of on the other side of the season it kind of turns into what we hope is n- another great celebration but it's just we're pretty far removed from the grind of college football when we're on the ship now it is NFL Draft Week, so we're still covering that. We're still having some fun with that. Big draft party is a big part of what we'll do, in addition to all the great things that you already do on board the Independence of the Seas. So, you know, from that standpoint, you know, it's it's kind of part of the uh, the, the the schedule that we have, but it's far removed. It's post-GDA. You know, it, it's a time to just sort of get in there, relax, and have a good time, and I just can't wait to have all of you with us for it. So, We'll be more relaxed at that point than we are at any other time of the year. It'll be more time to spend together than we kind of sometimes have when it comes to some of these, you know, events that we do where it's a couple of hours, then we're kind of on to the next thing, and you're busy with your own life, and you're on to your next thing. This is just a few days in the ship to sort of be casual and relax, and 
you know, work on our tans and, you know, have a little extra drink at the cocktail uh, party or something along those lines. This is what it all is. Our friend Jessica Slater going to help you book it up. She's the travel agent specially selected for us by Royal Caribbean to get this done. She's made a website, royaldogs.com. You can go to it, royaldogs.com. And you can find out more about our Dog Nation cruise. You can also call Jessica, 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147. And you can get all your questions answered and go ahead and get that stateroom book to be with us on board Independence of the Seas this April for that Dog Nation cruise. My understanding is that $100 onboard credit is still active, so a great incentive to get signed up on that right now, too. All right, so let's go cruise around the SEC here for a moment. And one of our great commenters, his name is Bryce Dixon, was on our post-game show on Saturday. And he brought up a really interesting point that I don't know that I'd fully considered going into that game in Knoxville on Saturday of what the playoff implications could be for all of this. We saw last year for the second time two SEC teams make the college football playoff. So that's the kind of thing that has happened with regularity. I think most of us would have said coming into this year, we expected two SEC teams being the playoff again. But with Tennessee's win, I think you have to open the door to the possibility that at least three SEC teams have to be in the discussion. I've also seen some pockets of the internet where they're talking about four teams making it. Uh, I guess Ole Miss would be the fourth in that case. But I think that you have to very realistically talk about three SEC teams making the college football playoff if the playoff committee is in any way interested in making kind of a qualitative assessment of who the teams are. In other words, truly picking the four best and not just counting wins and losses and things like that. Let let me explain what I mean by this. So Tennessee's still going to be a point spread underdog coming into Athens in a few weeks. It's a tough game for Georgia, as you would expect that it would be. But Tennessee will be expected to lose in that game. But what if it's close? What if Georgia beats Tennessee in kind of a similar fashion to the way in which Tennessee beat Alabama? Maybe not quite so many points, but down to the wire, intense. And then at that point, Georgia kind of sets itself up to win the SEC East. When the season's done, you got Tennessee standing here and saying, hey, we're 11-1. and Our only game was at, our only loss was at the reigning national champs who were going there back to college football playoff. Why should we be eliminated from this discussion? And frankly, I think that Tennessee might have a pretty good argument there in that case. Let's say that Alabama beats Georgia in the SEC championship, because while I think it's pretty clear that Alabama has slipped some, they haven't slipped so much, they're not still a national championship contender. Of course they are. This loss on Saturday doesn't really change that. It was on the road, intense environment. Bryce Young just back from injury. You know, I'm not ready to eliminate Bama from the postseason conversation just because they lost. They could still beat Georgia in the SEC championship. After all, they did that a year ago. So if Georgia beats Tennessee in November, Bama beats Georgia in December, I mean, couldn't you pretty easily talk about both Bama, Tennessee, and Georgia making the college football playoff? And there's a lot to play out before you even get to that point, but it's at least a consideration. I'll also say this, another one of the results from Saturday I was pretty surprised by, and I don't mind telling you when I get it wrong, I expected a lot more from Penn State than we got. Michigan really made a statement at home in how convincingly it beat up on Penn State. So all of a sudden now... We've seen multiple SEC teams make the playoff. I do at least think you have to consider the possibility that multiple Big Ten teams make the playoff. I was talking about this as an idea a year ago, probably a year too soon, but I think it's very real right now. I think for the most part, the Big 12 is pretty close to being eliminated from playoff discussion. I mean, yeah, TCU still undefeated. They're meaningless to me, though. A lot of folks try to talk up Texas. Texas barely beat Iowa State on Saturday. You know, the Pac-12, I think, wants to keep a team alive, but eventually they'll all fall by the wayside, too. So for me, the real playoff race, three teams from the SEC, two teams from the Big Ten, and probably Clemson. That's your race right now. And by the way, you want to make the Georgia-Tennessee game bigger? Don't forget, playoff rankings for the first time come out the week of the Georgia-Tennessee game. So if you want to add a little bit more pizzazz to what's going to happen there in Athens when these two teams get together, the fact that the playoff ranking could possibly rank them one and two going into that game or at least top three, top four, you know, the kind of ranking matchup we've never seen in Sanford Stadium before, uh, that is obviously out there, and that is obviously a very real possibility. I saw where uh, Alabama linebacker Henry Toa Toa said, ah, it's okay about losing to Tennessee. We're going to get them again. We're going to get a chance to play them again, essentially assuming that Tennessee was going to win the East now. Alabama's going to win the West, which is not – this is not a rubber stamp. Let me start with that part of this. That, that Toa Toa's assumption that they're going to have a rematch here coming up that's not a rubber stamp from the standpoint that 
We have already seen Bama fail to win the SEC West in 2019, fail to win the SEC West in 2017. That if you want to go back and look over the course of the last five seasons, they've failed to win their division more frequently than Georgia's failed to win its division. So it's not like Alabama always wins the SEC West. We've got a couple of examples in recent years in which they didn't. So with Alabama already having a loss, facing the likes of Mississippi State this Saturday, Ole Miss still on the way too, you at least got to consider the possibility that Alabama won't win its division. And maybe a team like Ole Miss, who's never won the SEC West, I believe they are one of, is it four teams that are currently in the SEC that have not won a division? Ole Miss, A&M, Kentucky, Vanderbilt, I believe it's those four. Uh, Ole Miss, they're undefeated still. They have a chance to do that. So Toa Toa needs to take care of his own business before he starts talking about rematches with uh, with uh, Tennessee. But obviously some Georgia fans had kind of noticed that Toa Toa said that. And I'm also going to follow up on this just for a minute, too. I know John was kind of mentioning this. So to me, talk about business for a second. You've heard it, maybe heard it said before that, hey, if you're a business and you're in competition, the goal is to kind of not compete with your rivals. It's to dominate your rivals. And that just seems like sort of a blowhardy thing. And, you know, sort of, well, of course, that's the case, whatever. But actually, I think it's important to understand that in life, whether it be a business or a sports team or anything else, that domination is achieved through definition. And this is what kind of Alabama sort of has going against it right now, is that Georgia is dominating its market by closely defining what its market is. Georgia, I believe, is the most physical team in the country. They are the best defensive team in the country. That used to be true of Alabama. Now that's true of Georgia. Georgia is not the best offensive team in the country. They don't get the best offensive recruits. They don't perform the best offensively. But no one performs better defensively. No one has a better pipeline for defensive recruits. That's the definition that Georgia has drawn for itself. That's the boundaries it's kind of drawn around its market. And Georgia dominates that market. Right now, Tennessee looks like the best offensive program in the SEC. Josh Heupel is a better play caller than Bill O'Brien is. Right now, Tennessee's got better wide receivers. And they've defined their market. They're nowhere near as good defensively as Georgia is, the same way that Georgia isn't quite as good offensively as Tennessee is. These are two teams that have created different definitions of their market, and they are dominating their own version of the market in a way that Alabama is having a hard time keeping pace with. I mentioned before, you know, Ole Miss has kind of defined its market as, hey, we're going to be the stop for transfers. No one's going to be better at acquiring transfers and utilizing transfers than us. That's the market they're dominating right now. And if you're Alabama, you're kind of left to conclude, okay, well, with everybody kind of dominating certain factors of the market, certain facets of the market, where's our market domination right now? We're good at this. We're good at that. But we used to dominate everything. That's why when I say the Alabama era is over, I don't mean the dynasty. They may win the national championship this year. But they are not, across the board, as dominant in any category as they used to be. Different programs have sort of picked a category and said, the Alabama physicality they used to have, we're going to have that. That's what Georgia says. The Alabama high-powered offense we've seen in recent years, we're going to be even more of that. We're going to be that on steroids. That's what Tennessee sort of said. Other teams have kind of sort of stolen other facets of the uh, modern game and kind of chosen to dominate that market. And for you know, Alabama, you're kind of left to wonder, okay, with all those folks kind of taking a bite out of us in all the different directions, all of a sudden that is really how the mighty fall. That really is how, how legacies slip. And right now, Bama would appear to have slipped at least a little bit uh, worth considering that. And then finally, one more thing here. There was something that happened on Saturday that I'm very much in favor of. So you saw the great celebration when it was all said and done, the fans running onto the field and all that kind of stuff. But the other thing that you may not be aware of is is that in the stadium, I'm told that the Tennessee folks play Dixieland Delight, the song from Alabama, which is kind of a big part of Alabama's in-stadium uh, atmosphere. It's just been a big thing they've done there for a while. They make it really vulgar and profane, but it's like a thing that, that Alabama's kind of always done. Well, Tennessee kind of took that back on Saturday night. i got to tell you something. I am very much in favor of this. And we saw this with like Georgia-Auburn a couple of weeks ago. So... In 2007, when Georgia played Auburn, you had the blackout game. It was like you know one of the all-time great nights in Sanford Stadium history. It was also kind of defined by the Soldier Boy song. Is it Crank That? Is that what it's called? Crank That, Soldier Boy. And you know Gary Danielson and uh, Vern Lundquist were dancing to it. Obviously, all the Georgia fans were dancing. The players were dancing. And so that kind of became the indelible image of that 2007 game was the, the Soldier Boy song. So when Auburn, in one of the rare wins it's gotten against Georgia in the last two decades, when it beat Georgia in 2017 in November, as a way of mocking Georgia, they tried to take Soldier Boy back from Georgia and play that song there at Jordan-Hare Stadium. 
And that was Auburn fans thought that was hilarious. Well, guess what? This past uh, two Saturdays ago when Georgia beat Auburn, cranked that Soldier Boy started playing again. It's almost like Soldier Boy has kind of become the Georgia Auburn version, of like the old Oaken Bucket or one of these like rivalry things that you play for that the winner of the game gets to to play Soldier Boy. And I I kind of like that. Georgia kind of also stole swag surfing from Auburn. That was kind of one of their cool songs their students like to dance to and georgia cranked that up uh, a couple of saturdays ago there as well so various teams kind of trying to steal each other's songs and sort of take that as kind of a bounty for winning tennessee doing that with dixieland delight on saturday i got no problem with that i don't mind that at all i think that's kind of part of the fun in the sec and we saw that with georgia auburn too and i thought that was kind of fun when they did that there as well so we will make that cruising around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean and one note kind of away from Georgia's upset win, not upset, shutout win against Vanderbilt and all the other stuff in the weekend. Dogs did get a commitment there on Saturday. 2024 quarterback Ryan Puglisi. Now, this was not unexpected news. Puglisi had seemingly been treating, trending to Georgia for the last few weeks. He was taking a very high-profile visit to Georgia this weekend. We talked to Jeff Sintel about this on Friday. If you missed Friday's show, you can go back and hear some thoughts from Jeff on Puglisi. And the part that's interesting to me on this is, and there you see a nice edit of Puglisi uh, looking good there, uh, committing to Georgia. The part that's interesting to me on this is is the fact that Georgia seems to really like Puglisi a lot. I mean, the word is out on this, that this was their guy in 2024. Now, at one point in time, I think we would all say that the the, the one big name that Georgia was really chasing was Dylan Rayola. And Rayola eventually committed to Ohio State. And so after that, you started saying, well, is it Julian Sane or is it Jaden Davis or is it something like that? It's pretty obvious kind of post-Rayola that Georgia had really zeroed in on Puglisi. Now, I'm left to wonder, was this the only quarterback they're going to sign in 2024? If you sign another one, um, you know, all, all of a sudden you sort of add to your program depth maybe a bit. But it's very interesting the degree to which that Puglisi really seemed to impress Georgia when uh, when he came to visit here. He's also impressed other programs, too. He's got a pretty, uh, you know, robust offer list, some big names on that to go along with UGA. So this is a little bit of a, from a recruiting ranking standpoint, a lesser recruit than we've typically seen Georgia go after. Obviously, guys like Gunnar Stockton, Brock Vandegrift were the elite of the elite in terms of how they were rated as a recruit. Puglisi, not quite in that same category. But this is a guy that apparently Georgia really, really likes. They've certainly gotten the word out on that. Plenty of insiders have kind of told that to you. Jeff Sintel talked to us about that there on Friday. So a little bit of an unorthodox backstory here, playing his ball in Connecticut, uh, not a hotbed for high school football necessarily from Massachusetts originally. That's not typically a place that Georgia goes for its quarterback recruits, but they like Ryan Puglisi a lot. So when you start thinking about Georgia in that 2024 cycle, Puglisi a part of that. We'll see if he's the only quarterback they sign there in that cycle, but pretty clearly uh, this is a guy they have circled for now as a uh, name they are very interested in. They rolled up the red carpet for him. And Puglisi saw all he needed to see. So a little bit of a recruiting note to wrap things up here today. And as you might imagine, uh, Golden Shoe today themed around the big game that's looming for Georgia here in a few weeks. Now, I promise you this. I said this off the top of the program. We are not going to allow the look-ahead past Florida. You better believe we're going to, over the course of the next two weeks, really get you dialed in on being a Gator hater and being in Jacksonville for the cocktail party. I promise you that. But in the aftermath of what happened on Saturday, this is definitely on Georgia fans' mind. So I'll show you this as it relates for our Golden Shoe today, kind of the meme you've seen before. Uh, uh, Chase Dog shares this to me. Tennessee flexing on everyone after beating Alabama, and you see Jason Moa coming behind the dog, sneaking up on Tennessee, who's feeling really good about itself right now. Kind of a popular meme being utilized by Chase there. That's pretty clever. Good stuff indeed. We'll make that our golden shoe winner for today. Lousy, stinking Gators. They've got nothing to celebrate. How about 5,030 days? They've won a national title. I love that, and I love this. Knowing the cocktail party is now just a very small number, 12 days away. That is our Gator Hater Countdown. We will see you tomorrow on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Palo Window and Door of Georgia. We'll look forward to talking to you then. And on the podcast, time now for the R.S. Andrews Podcast Cooldown. We'll take your comments here either on Twitter at Dog Nation Daily or in the comments section at DogNation.com. Uh, Shoot the Hooch wrote in about Saturday's game, says, 
When you think about Georgia looking ahead to Tennessee, I can almost guarantee the dogs won't have 17 penalties when the Vols come to Athens. Not that I'm looking ahead, he says, I guess half kiddingly. Yeah, I mean, obviously that was a huge story for why Alabama lost that game. Just the sloppy play, the undisciplined play leading to a lot of penalties. Some Alabama fans are blaming the refs, but I think largely Alabama only has itself to blame for that. You would certainly hope that Georgia would play a cleaner game than that. Certainly needs to, or it's in jeopardy of losing as well. But hopefully a sharper brand of football on display from Georgia, almost certainly. Uh, you would hope anyway. JBM Dog 46 writes in at dognation.com to say, let me see if I understand what happened Saturday. Number one team won 55 nothing. The number three team lost in a last-minute field goal by three points in a game they should have won, except for the 17 penalties once again, and also a missed field goal too. He says the number two team was idle, right? So now the number 16 becomes number one. The number one team falls number two, really? He says, conclusion, the so-called experts don't really know what they're talking about. And I made my case on the show for that today. And people can say, well, that's a homer pick. I don't honestly care. I'm not. I'm uninterested in someone else's opinion on this. But to me, the case for Georgia being number one right now is as strong as ever. They are top ten in both points scored and points allowed. They're second, of course, in points allowed. Still top ten when it comes to points scored. They have the best, most signature win of the season, beating a top ten ranked Oregon team, 49-3, is better than the, you know, 52-49 game that Tennessee won against Alabama now which game would you rather watch most people would rather watch what happened this past Saturday in Knoxville which game validates a team more I still think it's Georgia we said this with John Stinchcomb when he was on the air there's an element to which that Georgia's greatness is proved by its boringness is that a word probably not but you get the point that I'm making that that Georgia removes drama from so many of the games that it's involved with and that's actually a demonstration of its greatness and by comparison, you know, Tennessee, Alabama may play a more thrilling game, but it's Tennessee's inability to stop anyone. Alabama's inability to stop Tennessee or really assert itself when it comes to, like, once again, the penalties, the discipline play, things like that. It's actually the, 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 the weaknesses of the two teams that made the game more entertaining. And listen, Tennessee's got my respect. That's a tough game for Georgia coming up in a few weeks. I'm not going to pretend that it's not. Tennessee right now is better than I thought they were. I said coming into the game on Saturday that Tennessee was about exactly what I thought it was. Well, now it's taken another step. It's it's clearly better than I assumed it would be at this point in the season. But the things that make Tennessee more interesting than Georgia, and to the average fan, I believe that Tennessee is more interesting. The teams that the things that make Tennessee more interesting than Georgia don't necessarily make it better than Georgia. In fact, the opposite's probably true. So good comments. Thanks for being a part of our podcast cool down. And we will see you back here tomorrow for the podcast cool down presented by R.S. Andrews. And don't forget, you can find R.S. Andrews online, rsandrews.com. Air conditionings were actually working pretty busy for us on the weekend because it was pretty hot here this weekend. So if you're worried about yours, if someone's told you it's the end of its shelf life, go ahead and get it tuned back up to factory fresh specs. You can find R.S. Andrews online, rsandrews.com for a lot more on that. And, of course, we'll see you back here tomorrow for Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. We'll look forward to talking to you then, everybody.